Hello, and welcome back to Historical True Crime, the podcast where we take a look back at history's darkest crimes and criminals. I'm your host, Lizzie, and today is episode 25. If you're caught up to all of our episodes, apologies for this one being a few days late. Uh, I was moving, and as most people know, that never goes smoothly. Uh, But this is a really interesting case we're going to cover today. We're looking at France's killer witch, La Voisin. And as you might have guessed, uh, there'll be a lot of French names in this episode, so bear with me as I do my very best to pronounce everything correctly. But uh, let's get into the case. Between the late 1660s and the early 1670s, influential members of French nobility were mysteriously poisoned to death. Because he was concerned for his own safety, as well as the safety of the royal family, Louis XIV asked the lieutenant general of the Paris police, uh, Nicolas de la Reynier, to launch an investigation that would eventually reveal the widespread use of poison. Now, Catherine Moivoisin was the wife of a jeweler and a silk merchant. She had a comfortable home in a fashionable neighborhood in the center of Paris. She was a mother, an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and a lover of the arts. But she was also a witch, one who nearly overthrew the French aristocracy and almost succeeded in killing a king. So what do we know about Catherine's early life? Well, not much, actually. There isn't really anything about her early life in the history books. She was born Catherine de Chey around 1640, and it's claimed that she probably had a quite terrible upbringing. Without a doubt, poverty was likely a factor. She would wed Antoine Moivoisin, a jeweler, and as her husband's shop started to generate less profits, Catherine began to offer her skills as a midwife, and for money, she would help in the case of unexpected pregnancies. She also would reveal the future, a skill she believed God had given her. She claimed to have learned the art of fortune-telling when she was around nine years old, and after her husband went bankrupt, she decided to turn it into a business by predicting the destiny of her clients by reading their hands and faces. The lower classes in Paris continued to believe in superstition, even when the upper classes would tend to dismiss it. She would include things like potions and fortune-telling. Now, Catherine had started to include these in her portfolio because she noticed her client's request seemed to always revolve around the same issues. Mainly that someone would fall in love with them, that they would want to bind their wandering lovers to them, that a spouse or an enemy would pass away, that a child would be born, or that they would become rich. Additionally, as an herbalist, she would occasionally provide remedies for aches and pains. Like I mentioned before, she was also a midwife, and she had acquired the skills necessary to perform abortions on women, which were popular in this era because devout Catholicism and uh, bedroom activities outside of marriage tended to be quite popular, and the two simply didn't mix. Um, So this was a service that, uh, like most eras, was performed discreetly and illegally. 
In her fortune-telling business, she would first just provide advice on how wishes might actually come true, but only if they were also God's wishes. If the person in question goes to a particular church on a particular day, or if they pray to a particular saint, potentially their wish might come true. Later, in addition to her potions and powders, she'd also start to promote various magical practices and sell enchanted amulets. Some of these would include substances like the Spanish fly, thought to have aphrodisiac properties, or if consumed in excess, would be poisonous, as well as things like toad bones, powdered mole teeth, iron fillings, human blood, and even the dust of human remains. Beginning in the late 1660s, La Voisin, as she had become known, had amassed riches and notoriety as a fortune teller, attracting the highest French nobility as her patrons. People like uh, the Countess de Gramont, Mancini, Duchess of Bouillon, Olympia Mancini, Comtesse de Soissons, and François-Henri de Montmorency, Duc de Luxembourg, were among her customers. Now, she did have a husband, and along with her mother and her four children, she supported a household of six. She also had numerous lovers throughout her life, including people like the executioner André Guillaume, the alchemist uh, Blissis, and the magician Adam Lesage were all rumored to have been among her lovers. However, Catherine or Lavoisin wasn't driven to her execution because she provided love charms or fortune telling. It was poison, black masses, and murder that led to her death. As her notoriety grew, La Voisin made the decision to start to take advantage of her clients' financial resources and their desperation. She began to use the assistance of priests, some of whom were her lovers, and others who had debts they needed to pay in order to maintain the comfort of their own mistresses to conduct satanic rituals in the catacombs beneath her house. In these blasphemous black masses, a naked woman would serve as an altar, laying down with black candles in each hand and a chalice resting on her stomach. This was a darkened version of a traditional Catholic rite. Her body would be subjected to satanic rituals by a priest before the blood of a newborn infant was poured into a cup as the woman prayed to the Dark Lord. According to Jessica Toomer for Sci-Fi Wire, Lavoisin had no trouble finding a baby to use for these black masses. Now, we're actually not sure whether the newborns were alive or not while the rituals were performed, um, but it should be assumed they likely were not. Years earlier, she had established a home for unmarried mothers where she assisted lower-class women in getting abortions for unwanted pregnancies or in getting rid of their babies after delivery. She wouldn't charge her peasant clients for these services. Instead, she added a fee to the assistance she provided to noble women in order to cover the cost of her charitable work. These women couldn't afford the embarrassment of having an unmarried child or simply couldn't afford to support a child on the harsh streets of 17th century Paris. Catherine may have informed them that she would locate homes for the kids, or she may have said nothing at all. In any case... She was never short of a sacrifice because of both her charity and the strict standards of Catholicism during this time period. 
Now, being intelligent allowed Catherine to endure the majority of criticism and censure that came her way. However, her life was put in peril when she became involved in an affair that was one of the biggest scandals in King Louis XIV's life. Only a few decades prior to La Voisin, there was an Italian professional female poisoner named Giulia Tofana, and she would contribute to turning the art of poisoning into a science. Now, Lavoisin had a network of poison suppliers working for her, including the apothecary Catherine Trianon, and she would offer a wide range of poisons to her customers. Catherine's most significant customer was Madame de Montspan, who served as Louis XIV's mistress, although not the official royal mistress yet. Through an intermediary, a close friend who is said to have paid more than 50 visits to poisoners, Madame de Montspan engaged Lavoisin to organize a black mass in 1667. In a home off the Rue de la Tannerie, the black mass was held. Montspan prayed to earn the king's love while Adam Le Sage and Abbe Marat officiated. The following year, she was made the king's formal mistress. And from that point on, she used Lavoisin whenever she had issues with the king. When Louis XIV's interest in Montspan appeared to be waning in 1673, she once again hired Lavoisin, who offered a number of dark masses. Madame de Montspan herself served as an altar during the service on at least one occasion. And Lavoisin also administered aphrodisiacs to Montspan, who used them but concealed their use from King Louis. In 1679, when the king started a relationship with Angelique de Fontage, Montspan reportedly called for Lamoisin once again, and she asked her to have both Louis and his new mistress murdered. Lamoisin was reluctant at first, but ultimately persuaded. The poisoners Trianon, Bertrand, and Romani collaborated on a plot to assassinate the king at the home of Catherine Trianon, one of Lavoisin's colleagues. Now, Trianon didn't originally want to participate and did attempt to persuade Lavoisin to change her mind, but she wouldn't budge. The group made the decision to poison a petition that would be given directly to the king. Lavoisin delivered the letter to Saint-Germain on March 5, 1679, but Louis XIV didn't take requests into his own hands at that time because there were simply too many petitioners that day. So the petition had to be destroyed, and this was done by Catherine's own daughter. After Mass the following day, Lavoisin planned to go back to Catherine Trianon's home to make a second effort to assassinate the king. But this second attempt would never actually happen because the Parisian police had learned about the underground group of poisoners and purported magicians, and they made a series of arrests. Lavoisin's associate Magdalene de Lagrange was imprisoned for poisoning in 1677. Her area of expertise was informing customers who were concerned about their health that they had been poisoned, and then she would provide them with the antidote. She claimed to have knowledge of serious crimes and was detained without charge for months so that she could be questioned. However, she never disclosed anything crucial and was given the death penalty. In January of 1679, Marie Bosset, also known as Labasse, 
and her companion Marie Vigereau, a dressmaker's wife, were also detained. La Basse was a self-described witch and one of Paris's most popular fortune tellers. At the end of 1678, Boss joined a gathering in Rue Corvelion that was hosted by her friend Marie Vigereau. She became so intoxicated during this party that she began bragging openly about how she acquired her riches by selling lethal poisons to aristocracy members and how she would soon be able to retire. Now, at this party, there was a lawyer named Perrin, and he decided afterwards to report the discussion he heard to the police, who at the time had already started looking into poison sales in the city. They decided to do an undercover operation, and they sent a police officer's wife to La Basse, and she requested poison to kill her husband. La Basse gave her what turned out to in fact be a lethal poison, and when her family was apprehended, their confessions revealed that a network of fortune tellers controlled the illegal selling of poison in Paris. While being questioned, Marie Vigereau dies. On May 8, 1679, Labosse was found guilty of, of the crime and put to execution by burning in Paris. Her associates and children received death sentences as well. La Voisin is arrested on her way to visit Catherine Trianon on March 12, 1679, because it turns out La Bosse had ratted her out. Now, La Voisin hinted that key members of the court frequently used her services in an effort to clear her name and delay the execution of her sentence. Margot, her housekeeper, made a suggestion that many people in high society would perish as a result of this arrest. Unaware that his own mistress was a part of the network, King Louis XIV ordered its complete destruction on December 27, 1679, regardless of anyone's position, gender, or even age. Lavoisin would eventually admit to the crimes of which she was accused and gave an account of how her entire career developed. She didn't, however, experience any torture to elicit this confession, a formal order authorizing the use of torture was issued, but it was made obvious that this order was not supposed to actually be implemented. So it was never used. Perhaps because if she was actually interrogated while being tortured, she might divulge the names of some very powerful individuals. Lavoisin's client list, the planning of the black masses, her relationship with the mistress Montespan, and the king's assassination attempt wouldn't be made public until after her death. They were revealed ultimately by her own daughter and corroborated by other defendants' untampered testimony. So on February 22, 1680, Lavoisin is found guilty of witchcraft and executed by public burning in Paris. Her daughter, Marguerite, would confess in August 1680 after her mother had already been executed and it was her that revealed her mother's clientele, her relationship with Madame de Montspan, and the monarch's attempted assassination. At around the same time, Adam Lesage confessed, adding that during Lavoisin's organized dark masses, child sacrifices had taken place. On October 1st, Francois Philastre corroborated Moivasson's and Montespan's claims about child sacrifice but the king would command that the official investigation be shut down, 
because these confessions had implicated so many powerful people. Overall, more than 300 people would be detained during this inquiry. 36 were given the death penalty, but only Lavoisin's was carried out. The mistress Montespan and the majority of the French nobility are spared punishment as a result of King Louis's concern that the peasantry would revolt, or worse yet, that England would use the scandal as justification for an invasion. If they found out that his court was full of liars, murderers, and witchcraft practitioners. Several nobility members were compelled to leave France. Some fled, others were exiled, and some were even imprisoned. Whether or not she was truly as deeply involved in the situation as claimed by Marguerite, Madame de Montspan never regained her influence over the king. She had lost his trust. However, the king would continue to pay her regular visits in order to maintain the facade and contain the scandal. And that brings us to the end of the life and crimes of France's killer witch, La Voisin. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to review, rate, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback for us or a case suggestion, you can find us on Instagram at Historical True Crime Pod or reach us by email at historical true crime pod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week for another dark and notorious case from history. We'll see you then.